0: Hello and welcome back to Spy Hard's podcast. I am Agent Scott. And I'm Kim the Provocateur. And we're here continuing our journey into 1990's Sean Connery-led spy film. No, it's not a Bond. It's The Russia House. And we have a very special interview for you.
1: Yes, we are talking to director of photography Ian Baker, who has a pretty
0: long filmography working with the director of Russia House, Fred Skepsi. But he also worked on films like 1989's Dolph Lundgren-led The Punisher, or Queen of the Damned, or even Evan Almighty. He's uh, done a lot throughout his career, but we're here to talk about The Russia House. So without further ado, Cav, roll it. And joining us now on the show, the director of photography of this week's film, 1990's The Russia House. It is Mr. Ian Baker. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Uh, It's wonderful to have you here. We've got a lot of questions. About the Russia House, but I think before we dive into that a little bit, let's talk about you and how you got your start in in filmmaking. I think the first question I always like to ask is, yeah, basically that. What prompted you to want to become a filmmaker in the first place?
2: Well, w- way back, um, I went to fine art school, and the fine art school while I was there developed a um, like a mini subject. Called filmmaking, so uh, they had a an old 16 millimetre camera, and we made little films. I got quite interested in uh, filmmaking, so I applied for a job with Fred Skepsy. He, at that stage, had a um, commercial production company making television commercials, and I started there as a studio roustabout and one thing led to another and i ended up quite quickly um shooting uh television commercials for fred skepsey and then fred skepsey of course started to make films and i was very lucky to be invited onto those and i guess the rest is history
0: because it's actually one of my questions i have for maybe later on when we got to Russia house was how you got connected with fred so that really is is quite an early on connection your career basically one of your first major connections
2: Yeah, 1968. Wow. uh, Well, no, in fact, uh, January of 1969, I started uh, working. I worked for Fred Skepsy on salary, and then I left and went, became a freelancer, which I had remained, you know, till till this very moment. And, uh, yeah, so that's the story. You've got uh, where the connection came from.
1: What do you think was the key to you two having such a successful collaboration because you worked together so many times
2: uh yeah well I can't tell you how many feature films we've done uh I'd have to look look that up but you can you can do that <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, and i uh did you know photographed or um, shot um many many um television commercials for him and uh yeah, we just seemed to click and uh, yeah, it was. It's been fun. Tough. He, he's a, a, really tough taskmaster, but um, he, you know, it's it's a pleasure to work. You, you always know that you're working on something that will be a success.
1: Does he have a really strong like visual style? Does he know what he wants, or does he look to you to kind of help realize it more? So,
2: he he is very visual, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, our relationship has got to the point where. He, I, I set up shots. Um, he, I, I know where he's coming from, so I can sort of work a little bit ahead of him and uh, uh, we, that's how we churn it out, uh, which is good for him because he does shoot an incredible amount of film. I mean, a lot of, in terms of coverage, he does massive amounts of co- coverage.
0: And, and maybe to sort of, Going back a teeny bit, but maybe before you got to, to meeting with Fred and working with Fred, what were the sort of films and filmmakers that were influencing you when you were forming your visual style?
2: Oh, gee. Um, you know, I, I, I belonged to a film, film society and a film festival and, and used to go to all, every, you know, every movie ever made. Um, so I was very interested in film. Um, you know, the, I, can't, I can't tell you the directors. You know, the the really big time directors. Um, you know, I followed a lot. Um,
0: sure, and you know, you, you mentioned sort of again the start in in the late sixties, which was definitely sort of the height of the spy boom at the time. You know, James Bond was probably one of its biggest points in time um yeah. in terms of early experiences with spy movies because that's what we talk about every week any sort of memories of watching spy movies are you a fan of spy movies
2: I'm oh, not particularly um I, I, you know, I was a fan of any any good movie mm. I, I i can't say i was
0: uh, an avid follower of spy movies you leave that to us right. um well you know Pivoting quite a ways then from sort of the late 60s to, you know, 1990, which is, you know, the Russia house. How does that film come along? Is it just something that Fred has been given and he gets you involved or was there a process behind that? How how did you first get involved with the Russia house?
2: Oh, well, at, at that stage, I was, um, <clears throat> just shooting all of Fred's material. So it came along. Um, I got a script and, uh, then we we got the film going and uh it was big time because I'm sure you know that we we sh- we shot in leningrad um moscow um lisbon vancouver london so it was a big a big a really big project mm-hmm. um yeah and it, we we re- we both realized that it was going to be difficult to, you know particularly in in Russia, to do organized film setups where you know you have crowd control and you have assistant directors, um, keeping everybody out of the way. so we we realized that we wouldn't be able to do that. So we um, adapted a style which was basically I for for years and years and years had the same camera operator who was also a very excellent cam operator. And what he would do was we would virtually, well, I mean, I'm being dramatic here, but we'd hide around a corner, send the actors out, and then Ian, Ian Jones, my Steadicam operator, he would just go. And before anybody knew it, um, we had a scene without... Uh, you know, disrupting the crowd. So they were, they were natural crowd, natural extras, etc. So it was quite a, it, it, the system worked really well and it was quite a unique way of making the film.
1: Where in the process did you guys become aware that you would be able to shoot in Russia? Like, was that touch and go? Because I know it was kind of a big deal at the time.
2: I don't know. I don't know all of, the, all, all of those details. I just uh, turned up with my light meter
1: Nice, fair play. Were you along for the location sh- uh, scouting? Always, yes. Awesome. And I was curious to know when you're scouting for the Russian locations, if there's any that jumped out, like were real discoveries for you guys that maybe you didn't necessarily plan on. Um.
2: Well, we su- we surveyed extensively, and we picked locations that were Russian, you know, because um, for the obvious reasons. And um, we just went ahead and did it. We had a very minimal. When we were on the ground, so to speak, uh, we had a minimal crew. So you know, there wasn't people standing around with clipboards and monitors and whatnot. So we were, we were, for quite a deal of the film, I guess you could say, we shot it in um, a, a doco style
0: and did you face much i don't want to say opposition because obviously it was the russian government said you could shoot there but did you face any sort of hardships or uh, sort of issues whilst filming in russia no
2: no not, not not at all it was all very smooth and 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 friendly it was it was great
1: and you were also working with a like a part soviet crew correct
2: um yes Uh, because, you know, it's too expensive to drag all your normal people. Um, I had, well, I had Ian Jones, my Steadicam operator, he was lucky enough to be able to um, do the whole, every location, um, which is, uh, you know, so helpful.
1: Right. And were there any challenges just in terms of Balancing, you know, like your crew with the Soviet crew, did it work out really well, or was there like differences in work style or anything like that? Uh, yeah, you you
2: you have to do a lot of explaining, but I'm good at um, handling crew. In that, I I'm not aggressive with them. I, you know, I, I I'm I'm very friendly, very warm with them, so they soon cotton on to the fact that you know you're
0: a nice bloke and uh they work for you right and that's sort of a you know a director of photography a cinematographer you're getting an opportunity here to shoot in a land that hasn't been shot at least by western filmmakers for you know properly for a very long time and also at all particularly what excited you about the opportunity to go and do that
2: um, oh, it it it, it 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 was it was exciting to to be able to go, and um, <clears throat> you know, be in a country like Russia, and even you know, even even Lisbon. I mean, the uh, uh, you know, it was great. There's, there's a really special thing about um, Leningrad. Is you just met my wife, Di? That's where I met Die. Di Di is. Um, from london and she's a makeup artist and she was uh handling michelle pfeiffer oh wow and uh, we uh met and uh the rest is history here, she, here we are
0: <laughs> wow the legacy of the russia house uh is, is very strong in your life
2: yes exactly
0: yeah well yeah you know, speaking of the lead actors michelle pfeiffer sean connery Um, we actually had a a previous guest on the show, one of the actors, Nicholas Wooderson, who's in the film towards the start. And he spoke a bit about working with Michelle Pfeiffer, but just from your perspective, shooting both Michelle and Sean and the rest of the the cast, uh, how was it like working with those people? Did they get involved with what they wanted as well? Or was it really just you and Fred's sort of vision there?
2: Uh, No, I mean, the the visual part of it is Fred's and mine, but um, they... uh, Sean and Michelle were absolutely wonderful to work with. Um, you know, they were, you know, just think about it. They, there they are. They've not got assistant directors ushering them around. They're, you know, I mean, dramatic again, but they're told to hide around a corner and jump out and the steady cam will get you. You know, they, 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 they bought into all of that really wonderfully.
0: I mean, if there's one place that in 1990 where you could have Sean Connery walking in the streets and not get mobbed, it is sort of behind <laughs> the iron curtain. It makes sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I guess nobody—I uh, mean, probably one in a thousand people in that in any particular street would know who he was. So it—it uh, it was good. And and though you know, you, you generally find when you do that sort of um, doco style probably should stop saying that. It wasn't a documentary. But when you do use that style of shooting, um, you know, people just, it it all happens before they can get excited.
1: And when you were putting together plans to go film there, were there any, like, did you guys have a a strong vision of like how you wanted to portray the locations? Like what kind of um, style were you looking for?
2: Um, Well, I guess, the word to use is, a, or words to use is a, a real and natural style that it was, you know, the place, and not uh, not like set up and uh, set. It was it was it was meant to be real, and I think it is.
1: And I think that realism is really interesting because we talk about spy movies, and often spy movies, there's a very stylistic approach to the visuals because they want to kind of give it that intrigue feel where I think it's really interesting when you watch the Russia house, how everything feels like very realistic. It doesn't feel like it's kind of a heightened espionage.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, that's, that's right. And it's, uh, it's great to say that about it. It's, uh, um, it, it is uh, quite a unique film in that way. Well, it's unique when you know how it was done.
0: I was going to ask you about maybe what your favorite shot, from the film, is or something you put together? But I, I suppose maybe I'll lead us off by saying what I think is one of the best shots of the film, and that's something achieved by you and Fred, which is you've got Sean Connery sat in his like hotel room, and you framed it so just outside the window is the hammer and sickle. Oh, yeah, outside I don't know if you remember that shot at all, but that it jumped out. It's actually one of the reasons I sent this email to you in the first place to put this together because like that is craft right there. There was a lot of thought put into that shot, there's no attention paid, Sean's not looking at the hammer and sickle it's just there and it's framing and it looks really good i mean do you remember putting that scene together and some sort of what your favorite shots were from the film as well um oh, i i i
2: remember that but that's what we do um or i do and and fortunately fred is all for that system too is to you know you don't just go into a hotel room and shoot out to a brick wall. You make something of it. So you find the particular room that's got that as a backdrop. That's de- deliberate. It's not it just didn't happen. It's deliberate. You find those locations.
0: And just from your sort of memory banks, from shooting it yourself, I don't know if you've revisited the film at all since you made it, but is there any particular shots that you remember being ones you were very happy with?
2: Um, no. Not one single one. I'm, I'm <laughs> very happy with the whole visual aspect of the film. So, I, uh, you know, I think it's um, there's it, lots and lots of shots that are equivalent to the one you just mentioned.
1: I was curious if you could remember any great challenges you had to overcome shooting the Russia House, any sequences that were a struggle or anything like that.
2: No, I mean, it's. It uh, no, not one particular one, but I mean you just you go it, my way of working is you go for it. You you just give it everything you've got to make that, that particular shot as great as you can, which of course then accumulates into a great film. Um you, you know, you just you, you it's it's like the the hammering sickle out the window. You make that work, you don't just Shoot a boring street you you pick a street that's got character and Russian character to it. Mm-hmm. You know once, once again uh, that that's good with working with Fred Skepsy because you get a lot of directors going, Oh, look, I'm not worried about that. I just you know I want my actors to look good, but you know Fred will combine he's happy for me to combine the two because that's the way he works too. Um, which therefore makes uh, a film called Russia house look like Russian. So, yeah.
1: and, you know, moving kind of away from the Russian locations, I was just really curious. We talked to Dan Mendel, who did um, cinematography for Tony Scott's spy game. And he talked about how challenging it was to shoot the scenes of all the guys around the table, essentially giving briefings and whatever. You have a number of scenes like that in this movie with Roy Scheider, most prominently. I would just like to know about shooting those scenes and making them feel dynamic and making them feel visually interesting because a lot of people have, have struggled to achieve those kind of scenes.
2: Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, it's, it's the same answer, really. You know, you just m- make the location as good as you can so that the actors become part of part of that and, uh, you know, um, I, it, it's just, it's, I'm umming and ahhing because it's really, in, in fact, a hard thing for me to answer because I don't, I never think of it that way. It's, mm. it's just you go there and you, once again, you don't shoot up against a brick wall. You look around and you get a vista and you put the actors in front of something that suits the scene that also has a visual interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think what I'll, I'll do to sort of sign us off of the Russia House is sort of throw it to you a little bit. Is there anything in your memory banks about making the film that we haven't discussed? Any anecdotes from the production or any stories of how it was made? Anything that sort of we haven't prompted out of you already? Is anything you could share with us about making the Russia House?
2: Um, nothing more than I've said, ex- except it was. Uh, it was a great experience, um, and it, it, it was a great film for me because, you know, you have fabulous locations, which of course you put your actors or Fred puts his actors in front of. But uh, it was quite unique to be able to have all of those images to, to work with. There, uh, um, you know, I think I, I think it, it's a really good looking movie all of the scenes more than help tell the story
1: when you look at your many films you've done with fred skepsey where does like the russia house rank like does that one jump to kind of the top of your favorites or do you have a favorite
2: um it would be right up right up there yes um for, 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 the, for the same reason and is is that it's a beautiful visual film so, yes, it would be right up there. I don't know about the top of the list, but it would certainly be maybe the top of the list, maybe not. But it's way out there.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because it, we were talking about sort of, well, I proposed the question that you'd encountered issues in filming in Russia. Because that's what uh, an audience would think. It, it, you'd have issues, especially being one of the first film crews to actually film there post the Cold War ending more or less, but it's interesting to hear that there really was no particular issue and you had sort of basically unlimited access to where you wanted to shoot.
2: Uh, Yes, we did. But but, but, I mean, we would have, um, I, I, I'm I'm not really involved in this part of it, but we would have had, you know, highfalutin Russian or Fred would have had highfalutin Russian people that were, were doing all the diplomatic things behind the scenes and, you know, talking to the right people and letting the, the right people know that we were going to be there on that day. So, um, but, it, but it all worked. It was, from my point of view, it was just seamless. It, it, we didn't ever get stopped or have, have to wait for something. It was, it was good.
0: And of course you got to shoot Sir Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer before she hit that massive wave, I think like a year later or two with Batman. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the Spy Game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top-secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right.
1: As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon. Home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got
0: in our crosshairs
1: this month? Hitchcock changed the face of spy cinema, but what about horror? Well, we're going to look at 1960's Psycho and find out if even podcasters need to go a little mad sometimes. Whee! wee wee.
0: And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at Patreon.com/spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, but I, I think we'll take it away from the Russia house a little bit. Cam, I know you had a couple of questions. Yeah, I would like to know just
1: about working with Meryl Streep on Plenty and Cry in the Dark. Ready right that? period where like Meryl Streep is like the most exciting actress around I would just like to know from you any memories you have of working with her
2: well I certainly do Um, she is a fabulous person she um, became quite a good friend of myself and and my family Mm -hmm. in in fact uh, you know when when we were filming in, in Melbourne with her she would we would we had a um, a weekender, and she would go to the weekender, and you know she came became a really good family friend, and she's just the most wonderful person to work with.
1: And did, I thought it was really interesting, you know, that obviously Australian-born, and then you're shooting a movie, uh, Cry in the Dark, in Australia. If there was any anything that jumped out just from your memory of the experiences of filming that movie there,
2: um, oh. Look, really, it's the same, same answers as mm. the, the answers to the Russia house. It was, um, you know, you, you look for locations that show the country. Um, uh, um, it, it was just a, a great experience. And, you know, we, we really did go out, you know, lots of kilometres up the track to get various scenes. And uh, but once again, it works. I think
1: the film looks really smart. It does. Yeah. And I mean, yielded her a Best Actress nomination. So uh, definitely a very memorable film. Yeah. And another movie I wanted to ask you about and kind of a bit of a uh, difference between what we've previously talked about, but a movie that was very important to me when I was younger, which was The Punisher. You made the first ever Marvel movie. Uh, this was (laughs) before the days of the MCU and all that I would just like to know about when you were working on that film were you looking at comic book panels was there an effort to kind of you know like look at the comics for inspiration
2: no no
1: right and you know was there any thought in terms of like building the world of that movie like was there a visual style you were looking for I guess essentially
2: the answer would have to be yes. I can't really break it. it. was So long ago, I can't really break it down to tell you how. But mm-hmm. you know, you um, you just collaborate with the director. Uh, who was the director? Mark Mark Goldblatt. Who mm-hmm. it was? And uh, you know, you just um, work with them. I mean, Mark uh, wasn't uh, a massive um, visual. Person like Fred Skepsi is, but you know, you just you're there, and you know, I, my cr- creative background from having been in art school to just t- loving photography um, just you, you make the place look really good, mm-hmm. or you make the scene look really good.
1: And did you have any memories of? Um... Working with Dolph Lundgren and kind of creating a comic book icon there.
2: Um, Dolph was good to work with. Uh, he he certainly liked to 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 do it his way, but uh, no, he he was good. I I've had a couple in my career, a couple of bad experience experiences with actors. But uh you haven't touched on any of those films yet. So
0: <laughs> oh, too bad. <laughs> i would love to hear those stories. There's still time. There's yeah, still yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Well then I, I suppose don't necessarily begin to wrap us up. And 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 one question I always like to ask is of your filmography, what is the film you think is the best example of your oh go on, go on. Go on. Um oh look,
2: I'm I'm looking at them all. Um uh, <clears throat> Queen of the Damned, uh, not that it was such a, <coughs> a huge film, that it was fun to work on. Um, oh, it, it Runs in the Family is another one. Um, oh, The Chamber, Russia House, certainly sticks out. Oh, Roxanne is a, a fun picture to work on. Um, that, 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 was, that was really good, actually.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, early must-watch Steve Martin films. I didn't know Shelley with Devaux
0: was in that one. Huh. Yeah,
2: um, Channel Jimmy Blacksmith—they um, were—they were—they were all fun. I mean, it, it, all of them are, are fun. You know, you—you you, uh, well, I take them on with the intention of loving or working on them, and. Uh, you know, that's. I I hope that that's why they all look as smart as they do.
0: Another question I think is always important to ask is, in looking at your filmography, obviously you've got the list in front of you there, is there a film that you feel like you're really proud of but maybe didn't get enough love in terms of audience responses or box office response that you think people should check out? Um... Apart from The Russia House, obviously.
2: Well, I, uh, my least least favorite film it would be Mr. Baseball. Um, how come? How come? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, what is it that jumps out about that one? Um, it was difficult. That's all I can say. Uh,
0: well, no, I mean, more one like a film that you're really proud of, but like it didn't get the love you feel like it should have. So something like a, perhaps like an underrated Ian Baker film.
2: Um, no, I'm not, not really. I mean, I,
0: I'm, I'm sort of, I mean,
2: some, some of them were more uh, accepted, viewed than others, but, you know, the, I, I always, the feedback I always got from every single one of them was, you know, great, you know, the, 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 they were liked, but, um, you know, I, I guess the box office figures would really answer them.
0: The question yeah um well my last question and this is the question we always wrap our shows up with every guest that's ever been on the show has been asked this and i know you don't profess to be a particularly big fan of the spy movie genre but there must be one in your banks there what is your favorite spy movie of all time
2: uh, unless you gave me a list of them
0: <laughs> luckily that's what we do to, to,
2: tell, me, tell me yours, and then I'll tell you if, if I agree.
0: Well, wow. uh, I'll give you a few. Uh, North by Northwest is a classic. Uh, Goldfinger, the 39 Steps. Uh, Cam? I've got loads. Well, I guess the question is, like,
1: are you a James Bond guy?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 do, I do enjoy, as in you know, escapism, um, watching... James Bond movies,
0: yeah. In terms of your favourite spy movie of all time, is it going to be The Russia House?
2: Uh, I guess I'd have to uh, say yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a cheat answer, but we got one. So I, I'll, I'll take that answer. It's, it's better than none. And, and yeah, we're both big fans of it. We, we didn't really say this off the top. but And, and this is the reason why I, I tracked you down and, and asked you to do this, this chat with us, because I think... The cinematography of the film is fantastic. I think the performances are fantastic. And it's actually a really underrated spy movie. Mm -hmm. Ian, I I genuinely appreciate your time. I hope you have a a lovely day ahead of you. And, uh, yeah, I wish you all the best. Thank you
2: very much. To you both as well.
0: Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat with Ian Baker. But, Cam, let's talk about it. The Russia House is is a fascinating film. We had a good time talking about it this week. And it's interesting to hear... Just sort of the nuts and bolts about how it was put together and with the ease of which it was done. I was surprised by how little resistance they faced from from Russia and from Russian authorities. It was almost as if they were sort of welcoming in the film crew with open arms. It was nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, when I
1: read about this film being you know, shot in Russia, having a half-Soviet crew... You start to imagine, like, the complications that could come from that. I half expected, you know, the stories of production to wind up being, like, the Anthony Edwards experience in Gotcha, wandering into East Berlin. Like, what could have happened on this film shoot? So it was actually very interesting to hear Ian talk about how, yes, there was some initial maybe communication issues between them and the Soviet crew, but ultimately, like... It was a very professional film shoot. There was not a lot of headaches along the way and they found some amazing, beautiful locations
0: and an interesting way to showcase them in the movie. And I was convinced we were going to hear about sort of like a funeral in Berlin situation where famously Michael Caine was harassed a little bit by East Berlin authorities around sort of Checkpoint Charlie and things like that. Whilst they were shooting, they like, you know, used mirrors to put like light into the lens of the cameras to try and ruin shots and things like that. Just... Just being dicks. So I had a feeling it would be a situation like that. and But then it actually turns out it's actually more like a situation, once again, with Michael Caine, where he went to do the follow-up Harry Palmer films a few years after this, actually, and didn't have much trouble with the shoot, apart from his own personal problems with it. Well, <laughs> he said it was the most unprofessional shoot of his entire life. <laughs> I don't think he blames that on necessarily... Russia. Oh, uh, he said the Russian film (laughs) crews. Oh, sure, the film crews, maybe, but like I don't think Russian authorities made that shoot any worse. No, no, that's true. That's true. Just weird choices to make it in the first place made it worse. I thought it was really interesting
1: hearing him talk about just kind of that documentary, not quite, you know, docudrama approach to shooting Russia. And also just how they got some clever shots when it involved crowds and whatever which obviously, you know, you see in the film, it has a grand sense of scale, and it was clever ways to avoid people staring at the camera or the public working their way into the movie in a way that the filmmakers would not really appreciate. So I thought that was really interesting to hear him talk about. And also just, like, finding some of the locations and also wanting to capture a very realistic take on Russia, a version that would feel... Like you are there versus, as I said in the interview, a lot of the movies we look at that tackle foreign locales or what have you, they make them look almost like fantasy-like or noirish or something like that. Like they bring a certain filmmaking filter to them, and I appreciated
0: hearing him talk about the realism they were striving for. Well, yeah, you, know, you think of other productions like Bond films when a a location opens up they can shoot for the first time they tend to want to go in there and really capture the magic of the place but that can lend itself to appearing more like fantasy Mm -hmm. you know like i don't i don't think you know say take afghanistan around the same time from uh, you know the living daylights they chose some very nice locales there to shoot mostly desert of course but you, know, you look at this; it's all very much dirty on the streets. What a city is actually like, but also still capturing some of the majesty of the architecture that you find in places like Leningrad. Oh, I think that's now called Saint Petersburg. Uh, and and I like that they they attempted to do that. I think they were successful in doing it. And it's it I, it must have been quite interesting and challenging as a filmmaker to be like, how do we capture this new place that hasn't really been explored properly by Western film crews? Uh, without making it seem too outlandish or otherworldly and and just somewhere like you could
1: actually go. Or, also, it doesn't make it come across as, you know, a scary other, which I think would have been tempting for a lot of film productions at that time. You know, it's the late 80s, early 90s. It would be very easy to portray it as Russia's a
0: scary place to go. Well, you you could see it easily where they just have lots of shots of, you know, military marches and the old tank rolling around which yeah, you could shoot in in london mm-hmm. and see a military march every day and make it look like it's a military dictatorship here so yeah it, it's all in how you shoot it and i think they made a conscious effort to try and portray russia as i don't say a friendly state at that point in time geopolitics has obviously moved on since then but you know an approachable place that is just like us, not an other, as you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And also, just a home for, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's character and a lot of the characters in the movie.
0: Like, that is where they live. One thing I think was interesting as well, which we sort of spoke about right at the beginning, is spy movies aren't Ian's bag. They're not his kind of thing. hmm But what I think is interesting as well is that they managed to create him and and fred the director managed to create a very successful film whilst not necessarily being fans of that genre and i don't think and looking at history there's a lot of examples of spy movies and other genres where outsiders have come in and and given good work you don't need to have these sort of adoring fans and something i think actually gets in the way Mm -hmm. if you are dedicated to you know Adapting a book or adapting something else and you have to do it that way. It can start to fall apart. I think of actually, you know, Frederick Forsyth and the Fourth Protocol. Frederick wrote the book and also did the screenplay. And one of the problems we had with that film was sometimes it felt more like it was a book on screen as, instead of a, an adapted screenplay, basically. It wasn't necessarily a story made for, for movies at that point. It probably just some more finesse. And I think in this situation, they did a very good job. It's also always interesting when you have someone who's not,
1: uh, you know, born with spy DNA, who has to make spy movies, when it's someone who has a very diverse filmography and tackles all different genres, and then they do something like this. It makes it stand out that much more because it feels different than everything else out there in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, like the Russia House definitely... I don't have a lot of comparison points when I talk about the Russia House.
0: No, it's tough. It's tough to think of like... say like fourth protocol you can say if you're a fan of the harry palmer films it's probably something you can go and check out or if you want to see like early pierce brosnan with this i don't know where the connective tissue would be maybe if you're a le expert and i will just say spy dna is that is that like smart blood uh it's the smartest of bloods of course yes although i don't ever ever classify myself as smart well you don't have uh, spy blood (laughs) ah right no no spy dna here but any notes
1: for you cam I really enjoyed hearing his anecdote just about working with Meryl Streep on two of her 80s films, Plenty and Cry in the Dark. You know, you never quite know when you ask someone who worked on a film, you know, the production stories you're going to hear. But what was really interesting was hearing him talk about how there was a real personal connection between him and Meryl Streep and how, you know, she became kind of a friend of the family. So that's always uh, nice to hear. But also, I couldn't wait to ask about The Punisher from 1989 because, you know, growing up, there was DC movies out there. There was the Superman's. There was the Batman's Marvel. Nada. Uh, other than the green goblin face and maximum overdrive, not a lot out there that was Marvel related. And so there was a lot of excitement for me watching the Punisher as a kid and, um, kind of true to what I expected. This was an era that didn't really care about comic books at all when it came to adapting these things. And, uh, it kind of confirmed my suspicions that they weren't exactly um, poring over comic book panels. But I did enjoy hearing him talk about working with Dolph Lundgren and creating the first of the cinematic uh, Marvel icons on screen.
0: Well, and also, at the time of recording, we've just learned that the Punisher's coming back to the new uh, Daredevil series. So that character is still living on on screen somewhere. Maybe not on cinema screens, but on your small screens. It is pretty interesting how when you look at all the Marvel characters, the Punisher is the one who's had the
1: most... Uh, you know, actors inhabit them.
0: Like iterations. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hasn't Batman had more? Batman has definitely, but that's DC. In terms of Marvel, Spider-Man yeah. has obviously had a few at this point, but uh, the Punisher is... Nick Fury's p- had a couple. Nick Fury, yeah. Uh, but the Punisher is, uh, I think, maybe at the very top, which is just kind of surprising.
0: Well, I- I'll ask you because we're here, and I don't think it's a conversation we're ever going to have otherwise. And I have no stakes in this game because I don't really read comic books or watch much Marvel stuff apart from the movies. Who's your favorite Punisher? I mean, for me, it's going
1: to be John Bernthal. I thought the version of the character they did in Daredevil Season 2 was the best possible depiction you could get across of that character, using him as an antagonist for the season. But I will say, I didn't dislike Dolph Lundgren in the role. I actually thought he brought a lot of um, kind of attitude and mood to that movie. Sorry, Thomas
0: Jane. I didn't mind him either. Okay, fine. Thomas Jane fan there. I, I have seen none of these films, and I've never watched uh, any of the Marvel shows with him in it apart from that Daredevil season. So I think that's my only like time I've ever seen anything Punisher. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, it's just not something that really ever grabbed me, but maybe uh, maybe that'll change when I see the Punisher pop up in the new Daredevil, because I will be checking that out. So we'll see how that goes. Although I imagine it will probably slightly tweak what we had on Netflix. I suspect it'll be a milder version, yes. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Mr. Ian Baker all about the Russia house. And make sure you stay tuned for next week for our chat with the director, Mr. Fred Skepsi. But next Tuesday, we have something very, very special coming your way. Usually I throw to Cam at this point, but I'm going to take the reins and introduce next week's episode. We are bringing you quite the treat. I'm sitting down with Mr. Jamie Anderson, the son of... Of the late and great Jerry Anderson, the creator of such shows as Thunderbirds, Joe 90, Captain, Scarlet Space 1999, Space Precinct and many, many more. But you may be wondering why he's on the show and that is because Jerry Anderson, back in the late 1960s, wrote a James Bond script for a film titled Moonbreaker that never quite happened for many reasons which we'll discuss next week it had been locked away in the vaults thought discarded and never discussed but jamie anderson is bringing it onto the show we're going to talk all about the script all about what could have been with the original version of james bond in moonraker so uh make sure you're subscribed stay tuned for that it is groundbreaking stuff some stuff you've never heard of before and this all could have happened in the late 1960s, early 1970s in an actual James Bond film. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. So your mission, folks, should you choose to accept it, is to check out the Jamie Anderson interview next week. If you like what you heard on this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, Cam, Did you know you look like a large unmade bed with a shopping bag attached?